Welcome, church. It's really good to see everyone here today. I know we just talked about how people are feeling sick, and I'm feeling under the weather too, but I hope that our prayer just goes out to those who are sick. And, you know, it's really great to see everybody here despite our sicknesses, our weaknesses, and, you know, we're able to celebrate together as a church, enjoy full times and then not so joyful times. So it's really good to see you guys. Um, from our meeting on Wednesday, we as a group collectively um, felt that as we are going towards the Easter season, we wanted to really focus on prayer and fasting. Um, again, we talk about these transitions, whether it's physical transitions or even with pastoral transitions, we are going through a lot as a body. But the fact that we could remain here as a community together, it's so encouraging. And I hope that you are encouraged not to be discouraged by the changes, but to be excited for what God has to bring. So that brought us to a moment or like a period of prayer and fasting as we prepare ourselves for Easter. And so we thought of the acronym ROOTS. Each week I will provide you with each of the letter, but we will start off ROOTS, the R, with repentance. Um, and I know this word probably brings a lot of anxiety for some of us. It brings a lot of shame. It could bring a lot of emotions. But we really want this time to be of um, not to be shame or any of this negative emotion, but to really but go before God and just like have this intimate moment with him where he can examine us and we have time to examine ourselves because, you know, it's a lot of times that we're so distracted with everything around us. And um, this is truly a time where we can really glean like golden nuggets, you know, wisdom from the Lord. But it could only happen when we could go before God with our bare souls. And so I really encourage you for this week, uh, Julia will be sending an SMS text uh, on repentance uh, to remind you to pray this week for repentance. Um, so then R, I just want you to be reminded of that. And also for fasting portion, if you decide to fast this week, you can pick a meal, you can pick a day, Whatever it is that you feel, I encourage you to fast along with the prayer. Um, and so to be included in our SMS, like text messages, we haven't posted this in a while, but I want you guys to take a picture or text this number. It's one 606 2968 Text THMCEM on it and you write your name on it too. So then we know like who that number belongs to. And once you're on our list, then uh, Julia will send you guys reminders. So again, we will be doing it for the next like R-O-T-T. -T. <laughs> I guess five, five weeks. So I encourage you guys. Uh, we might send out more uh, messages frequently towards the end because we might start changing. Like we'll give you more specifics on the fasting and all the prayers. So just look out for it. Don't get too annoyed towards the end. Um, today, I want uh, our guest speaker is Pastor Sam Bing, and he has, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> and um, the I'll do the scripture reading before he comes up. It will be on Psalms 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was trying to guess what the OOTS might stand for, so I'll, I'll stay posted. I'll, I'll follow you guys and and I'll listen in to uh, and pray with you all as well. Let's pray. 
Lord, we really want to hear you say to us, delight yourself in me, in God, and I will give you the desires of your heart. Help us to make sense of our journey right now as a church. Help us to make sense of, of the weight, the pause, the delays, the frustrations, the heartaches, and the joys, and the love, and the fellowship. We ask for your Spirit's guidance today to hear you fresh in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is one of my favorite Bible verses, and it's really easy, right? I mean, you probably, by end of the service, you can memorize it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I want to share, I want to, it's a very simple message. Um, I'm just going to throw things out to you. I, I don't want to over-explain. I'd rather have you ponder these things, kind of take it with you, think about the various things. There will be about three or four things I'll throw out. Whatever sticks to you the most, or if anything sticks to you, just go ahead and ponder on these things. I want to begin by sharing two stories, and these stories are um, two of thousands or maybe tens of thousands of stories that we could find all around us. And you have your own stories that would illustrate this reality that I'm going to describe to you or this, this truth that I want us to ponder through these stories. And the, and the story is, is of prayer answered and unanswered or seemingly unanswered, right? Um, you know, there, there are prayers that we pray and lo and behold, they just seem answered and we are so thankful. And then there are prayers that we seem to pray and it just, where's God in this, right? So, for example, like, you know, it's almost been a year since I met you all. Uh, I, I came and preached here last in 2022, February. Is it 2022 or 2021? 2022, right? Okay, my, years are just blending in my head. And then I came uh, to your retreat in March, which was crazy because I remember the snowstorm. Do you remember the snow, how much it snowed? I had to get the snow chain, and I was like crazy. And then uh, I was here uh, for uh, about four months or six months or something like that. And so it's already been a year. And during that year, you all been praying for a permanent pastor, right? So God, where, where is the answer to that prayer, right? Is it, is it a no? Is it a no? Wait, it's coming. So, uh, so this is why I'm sharing, this, I'm sharing this message with you. I was encouraged this week to try to bring a word of encouragement. Perhaps some of you are weary and tired in this journey of uh, being maybe without a under-shepherd and just sort of trying to make ends meet. And, and now the KM is going through their own challenges and being part of this larger community, having to move. And so I wanted to just kind of give you a word on maybe how to think about what is happening around us. And the first story I want to share with you is a story of my father. Um, my father is... Hard to describe in a few words. Um, he was just, uh, he was like the antithesis of my mother. He was orphaned when he was young, and he grew up um, living with his older brother. who was like 20 years older. So all his life, he was told to just keep his head down and be grateful for what he has. But my father, by temperament, was an optimist. By temperament, he was a hedonist. He wanted to experience life. He wanted to have fun. He wanted to enjoy all that there was in life. And he would always continually tell us to, uh, all, all his children to say, dream, you know, dream big, uh, aim high, look up always. 
But my father uh, was a businessman in Korea. He, his business went bankrupt, and that was the impetus for us coming to America in 1977. And when he came, they started as janitors, like many people, doing hard work and, and just, you know, just really providing for the family, which we're, we're so proud of my mom and dad for that. And then after that, um, after a little season of that, that business became very difficult to maintain and, and bid on contracts with larger companies. So he went into real estate and then became a real estate broker. And uh, anyone in real estate or thinking about being in real estate? Yeah, real estate is, has a special impact on me because I saw how hard it is. It, real estate to me is like foraging and hunting back in the good old days, right? I mean, it's hard. Because real estate is all commission-based. If you don't make a sale or you, you don't, you know, sell or buy or represent a buyer or something, you just aren't bringing in income. And, and for a season, my father did well. He, he, he made some good progress, and he, was a, he got his broker's license, and he made some good deals, and he specialized in dry cleaning stores and so forth. But there were also lean seasons. These seasons would stretch out into... Uh, you know, weeks and months and off, and, and, and one really bad stretch, it felt like years. And as a father, and he became desperate. He became desperate. I mean, he did everything he could to try to provide, and yet there just was nothing coming in. And um, we lived in Irvine at the time, and we drove to our church, which was in East L.A., uh, on Eastern Avenue, on El Sereno. And uh, I would often sometimes, I, I would often drive up to church with my dad on Sunday mornings. And on this one particular season in his life, I think I was in junior high, high school. I can't remember the exact season, but I remember vividly just the, the feelings of it. Like, like when you look back on the past, you don't remember details, but you remember sometimes your emotions, right? What you were feeling at the time. And I, I remember I was sitting in the back of the car. He was driving. I didn't want to sit in the front seat when he drove. I just like to be in the back and just sleep the 30, 40 minutes of the car ride. And uh, this particular Sunday, I remember because my dad was so desperate. Um, and he, he has very, he's not known for his willpower, I'll tell you that, okay? And uh, he was fasting seven days. He was, he's been fasting for seven days, praying to God, asking for his business to get better, just so that he could provide. I mean, he, we were desperate, maybe about to lose the house, just lose everything. And you know, after seven days, you're, you're pretty hungry. And if you think hangry after skipping a meal or two, you know, think seven days for a guy who's not physically wired to really do well with that. And um, I just remember we were driving, and he lo- what he liked to do, and this is why part of the reason I kind of sat in the back, he liked to pray when he drove, when he drove to church. Like, pray the entire 30, 40 minutes. And that way, if I'm in the backseat, I could just knock out and, and just pretend I'm amening with him. You know, just, just got to be awake for the amen at the end. But he was praying, and I just remember, I, my heart was aching even as a kid. He was just desperate. I mean, he was crying. He was just saying, God, please, please, please help. I, I kind of wonder, like, what is the big deal, God? Just hear the man. Just give him a bone. Just answer a prayer, please. Just give him a deal or two. Nothing came. Nothing came. He was really, uh, he went through a hard time in his 50s and 60s because of the lack of ability to earn an income. He tried on and off, 
It was really hard. And um, God provided in other ways. But I just always wonder the lingering thought in my head. Why, God, didn't you just answer his prayer? At another time, this one, I was actually in, um, in college. I think I was either junior or senior in college. I just transferred from UC Irvine to Biola, uh, changing major, getting ready to go into ministry. And my mom uh, worked in a, uh, for a, a factory that produced artificial heart valves. It was manual labor. She was an assembly line maker, and she, she worked uh, in making artificial heart valves. It was a steady job that really helped support our family through all the years. And uh, that job required her, and because um, she wanted some overtime to make more money, she would always go into work like at, uh, be in at work by 5, which means she would leave home around 4, 4.30. And uh, one, one day, my dad had a friend come, and uh, the friend parked their car behind our car. And so my mom, the night before she went to work, couldn't fill up the car. So the car was running really low on fuel. So my mom has a lot of anxiety just by nature, and as she was trying to go to work in the morning, she noticed that her fuel was very low. It probably wasn't. It probably was like quarter tank or something, but in her mind, it was really low, and she just had a lot of anxiety. She felt like she had to rush or the car would stop, and, you know, sometimes when you're anxious, you don't really make sense. So as she was going through, she saw the light turn yellow, and I think she said, you know, I, I, need to get, I need to get to work before the fuel runs out. So I think she tried to gun it, and in gunning it, she, I think, I, I believe she probably ran a red or close to it. And another car, probably early in the morning, 4 o'clock, thinking no one's on the road, probably was timing the signal, was coming at full speed, and they collided. Big accident. Um, her, ribs, her ribs crushed and her lungs collapsed. And she was taken to ICU. And I get a call. I was a Biola at the time. I get a call. I don't know how we got calls back in those days, you know. How, do you, how, did, you, how did people reach each other? Oh, my gosh. It's like the cave days. I don't think we had pagers. And I don't know how. But somehow I got the word that my mother was in a big accident and that she was at the hospital in the ICU. So, obviously, I rushed to see her. Uh, she wasn't conscious. Uh, you know, uh, people are telling me that people in ICU, the survival rate is, you know, is a coin toss at best. And, uh, you know, at that time I just said, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And so I decided to fast. I, I, I didn't fast much. I wasn't really, no one really taught me what fasting is. And I said, I'm going to fast three days. I see my father and others fast. So I'm going to fast three days. And I really didn't know how to fast. So I thought fasting was like you don't eat or drink water. So I did at the time, which is very risky and dangerous and not recommended, but I did a 72-hour complete fast, like no food, no water. And um, I just prayed. I just prayed to God. I said, you know, be, be merciful, spare my mom. And I was fasting till midnight. Uh, uh, my fasting was supposed to end at midnight on a Friday, and we had a Bible study on Fridays, and I'd go, and then there was a prayer group. There's a group of us that would stay after the Bible study and pray. Um, and we, I remember um, it was like 10, 11 o'clock, and we started praying, and I was praying, and I was trying to make it to 12. And then I just like, you know, you hit this like, this is probably the second time I heard the Lord's voice very clearly. And I just had this wonderful, powerful moment with God, just reassuring me that 
that all is well in his, that we're all in his hands, all is well, that his sacrifice and his blood covers all things. And it was just a powerful breakthrough, right? And my mom recovered amazingly. She was really up and about in really a short time, and she was full health, uh, no long-term repercussions, and, and God seemingly answered my prayers. And so here I am, you know, I'm old, or older, I apologize. I'm getting older, and I still have these two experiences that seem paradoxical to me. Like, why does God answer some prayers and not others? And I know as, as a community, you've been praying for things. You've been wanting to find uh, a pastor who will journey with you, who will grow with you, who will love you, um, that can serve with you. And it seems like a good prayer. Like, what is wrong with that request? I don't see anything selfish in it. I don't see, think anything bad in it yet. For whatever reason, that, answer hasn't been an, uh, that prayer hasn't been answered in your experience. So how do we make sense of it? And I, I share this with you, and I don't know if you caught it through my months of being with you and some of the messages, like when I was doing Nehemiah 1 and a few others. You know, so much of, I believe, so much of faithful living as a Christian in today's context, like so much of what it means to be a disciple and a Christian in today's context is how do we interpret what is going on in our life? Like faithfully interpreting things, right? So like in, uh, in the Gospel of John, there's a, a man born blind, and the disciples are walking by, and disciples look at this man born blind and says, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his, this man's parents, that this man was born blind? So the disciples are trying to make sense of a man who was in suffering all his life because of his blindness, and their interpretation was that he must have done something to merit this, and or his parents must have done something to merit this. And Jesus said, neither of those. This man's blindness is going to lead to a revelation of the glory of God, and Jesus is going to heal him. Nehemiah, once again, I, I just want to harken back. Nehemiah was in, in um, Persia, right? And in their, the, the exiles have returned, and they're rebuilding, and the walls have been broken down. And there's so many ways that Nehemiah could have interpreted the the, the gods of the Persians are mightier than God of Israel, or God's Israel hath forsaken the Israelites. There's so many ways that Nehemiah could have interpreted what was happening, but Nehemiah went to scriptures and found out that they sinned before God and God scattered them, but that God promised to regather them if they obey. So interpreting what is happening when, you, when your prayers are answered, when your prayers are answered, when you're sick or your loved one doesn't recover or you lose a job or your relationship is going sour or or your pastor just doesn't come after months of prayer. How we interpret it is so important to how we understand and live out our faith, right? I really think interpreting, and, and here the difference is not do I have the right interpretation, but do I have the faithful interpretation? Because we're not God. We're never going to fully understand all of the million reasons why things happen the way they happen. God is not asking us to be God and understand all things. God is asking us to be faithful. So we need scriptures, we need community to faithfully interpret, not rightly interpret, but faithfully interpret what is happening in our life. Psalm 37 is a beautiful psalm. But it's a psalm about why some, why the, the, the Psalms 37 begins with, do not fret when evil prospers. 
right? So it's really about like there are people living and they're saying, these people are unrighteous and wicked and yet they're prospering and here the righteous are suffering. And there's a few Psalms that talk about this, right? Why, why do, you know, or in today's parlance it could be why do bad things happen to good people and, and good things happen to bad people? And that's really not correct either way, but... Uh, the psalm kind of is trying to encourage people to, as they're living out life, to interpret what is happening. And this vi- verse in, in verse 4, I love this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in, and, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So I want to talk about that delight and desire. Delight and desire. I want to come back to that because that's, that's what I think at the end God is really aiming. A part of what God is doing in and through us through both answered and unanswered prayer is to really help us understand our delights and desires and to shape that. Because that's really, really the transformation that one of the transformation that being a Christian is all about. It's not about quit, quitting smoking because you can smoke and be a Christian. I, I don't know if you knew that. You know, it's not about quitting drinking or not cursing or giving money to the church. Those things are all could be good or serving the poor or whatever. It's really about, at the end, the inside, right, the heart and the mind, like changing our desires and delights to, to what God would have. And um, that's really a lot of what is happening when God answers and unanswers prayers in our interpretation of things. All the things that are happening are trying to shape us in certain ways. So let's, let, let's take the specific context of your church, right? So one of the things that, um, one of the wrong ways that we can, I'm going to give you some very practical uh, advice now or, or share some practical advice for all of you as you think about this church life. And you can apply to maybe a situation in your life. So feel free to, you know, take it to a context that applies to you, maybe your work or your relationship or your career, whatever, work and career, the same thing, by the way. Um, but... You know, whatever is happening in your life, you can apply it. But I want to apply specifically to this church's life right now. So, THMCM, we're, we're hanging on. We're worn out. You know, we've been trying to keep this group together. But what is going on? So, what are some possible interpretations? One, God's testing you. God wants great things from you. And he wants you to develop perseverance and endurance. So, he's giving you the season of testing to grow a sense of dependence on him. He is pruning you so you can bear more fruit. Amen? All right, that's one interpretation. The other interpretation could be every organization, including churches, has a life cycle, right? If you read the book of Revelation, which most people don't read often for their devotionals, but I'm going to say something. Revelation is awesome for devotionals, by the way. Uh, if you read the book of Revelations, the book of Revelation opens with these seven letters to seven churches, okay? Um, and these seven churches were in Asia, and it was part of a postal route that kind of uh, was there in Asia. And so there's seven churches. And the first letter is to the church in Ephesus, right? Or uh, we could actually look at all seven churches. Do any of those seven churches exist today? No, they don't. Jesus warns them that if they don't correct their ways, if they, for the Ephesians, it was you have forsaken your first love. He commends them for doing good things, but he says you have forsaken your first love. And he says if you don't 
do what you did first, what does he say? I will remove your lampstand. Church Ephesus is no longer. Maybe, maybe it's time for THMCEM to fold. Maybe God's telling us that it's time for all of you to find new ways and new communities to be part of. It's not the interpretation we want, but it could be, right? So there or, or maybe, or maybe another interpretation is that we're just doing it wrong. There's something about how we do church that we're not just getting it. So somehow pastors don't want to come here and we're struggling. Or it could be that we are truly doing it right. That we're not following the fads and trends just to get people in the pews. That we are doing things that to, to the, those who are perishing are foolishness. And we are staying true to the cause. There's so many ways to interpret what is happening, right? Amen? And how you interpret what is happening is both a window into your own heart, right? So if you really want this church to be together and continue, you're going to interpret it probably along the lines of God's testing us, God's pruning us, God's preparing us. And it also is not only a window to your heart, but it also is going to shape how you act, right? So you're going to persevere. You're going to try harder. You're going to work harder. So there's so much going on. And I, I wish I could just say to you, this is the way you should think. This is the way you should interpret. And this is what God is saying to you, so hang on. But I, I'm not here to do that. What, I think what, what God really wants us to do is to understand delight and desire. He wants to understand this principle, right? Um, delight and desire. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, so what does delighting in the Lord mean? What does it mean to delight in the Lord? Or as some other in, uh, translation says, enjoy God. Glorify God and enjoy Him. Those, that's the first of the Westminster Catechism. Delight yourself in the Lord. Enjoy God. It means delight yourself in the Lord. Like God is the goal of your pursuits. Okay? Uh, John Piper is a well-known conservative uh, evangelical pastor, and he wrote a book which and he gave this illustration about heaven that for a lot of people really resonated, and it made me really think about it too. Um, I'm at a church where I did two memorial services this week and did four in the last six months. And it's like, wow. I've done like maybe like 10 and 40, 30 years of ministry, and I've done like four in six months. Uh, and... When people are nearing death, fear always comes into play. It really doesn't matter how you lived or where you are. Fear, you, you fear the unknown, and death is an unknown. And people talk about heaven, and, and memorial services, they talk about what it means to be in heaven. They, they always say our loved ones in heaven, they have the best seat now to, you know, see us. And all of that is comforting. But what is heaven? Like, how do you describe heaven for you? Is it the absence of illness and pain you know is, is it just is it just good food like uh, the best buffet all the time no rain good weather or if you prefer rain all rain and no sunshine is it just the best of what we want without any of the bad things that come along in this lifetime is that heaven when you think of heaven right now right now 
word association, heaven, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Well, say it out loud. It's okay. Banquet. I think you're like, no pain, no tears, right? Anyone else? What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of heaven? Bliss. And so Pastor John Piper gives this illustration. He says, if heaven had all these things, no illness, no pain, you get to be with your loved ones, live eternally, there's no evil, no injustices, but there was no God, would that be heaven? Right? He asked that question. And to what he was, the point he was driving at, heaven isn't the absence of these bad things and the presence of all these things we think is good in life. It is actually God himself, right? God is the ends of the gospel. God is the ultimate goal. And I think to some extent, what Apostle Paul says in Philippians when he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, right? So there's this reality that at the end of the day, what we want are not the blessings of God, but God himself. Delight yourself in God, meaning don't fall into the trappings of what God does for us or what he means to us, but who he is. Heaven is glorious because we will be with God. And heaven is glorious because we will be able to worship him unfettered by our sin and our brokenness. And that does not sound appealing to anyone whose delight is not in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. God himself is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God himself just doesn't love you. He is love. God doesn't just forgive you. He is mercy embodied. He is just. If you've ever seen the Grand Canyon for the first time, or seeing something majestic, a beautiful sunset, God is a thousand times more glorious. And we will see him as he is, the Bible teaches us, in his glory. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then what was the second part? He will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, man, I love that prayer. Isn't that, isn't that one of the best promises? He will give you the desires of your heart. Except, here's the catch. When you delight yourself in the Lord, what is the desire of your heart? A big house? A little extra hair in the front? A good relationship? Yeah, maybe. They're all good things. I desire those things. I, I have some debt. I love my debt to be gone. I'm a little unhealthy. I love my A1C to go a little lower. There are a lot of things I desire. But if I delight myself in the Lord, what do you think your ultimate desires is going to be? It's going to be God. It's a way of saying delight yourself in God and God will give himself to you. What does God want to do in our life right now and through what you're going through? He wants to shape you. He wants to shape your desires. He wants to match your desire and your delight. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He wants 
both the pain and the suffering in this life and the joys and the blessings, both things to point towards the glory and the sufficiency and the love and mercy of God, of who he is. Amen? This season is for your delights and desires to be shaped by God. This I know. So however you interpret this, I know that what God wants to cultivate in you is a deeper desire for him and a deeper delight in him. Amen? There's actually about three or four more things I was going to say, but I am um, going to stop and uh, pause here. And, um, you know, I have the joy of being invited to come and speak. Probably now I realize your last Sunday in this location on the 26th. So maybe we'll pick it up. Maybe we'll have different inflection. But I really want you to ponder this in your heart. What is your delight? What is your desire? How do you interpret what is going on? in this church right now, okay? Let's take a moment to pray silently in our hearts, and then I'll close with prayer. Father God, we know that you created us in such a way that where our delight is, there our desires will be. Where our hearts are, there our treasures will be. And Lord, what you want to give to us is not an easy life. It's not a comfortable life. It's not, a, it's not even the good life. It's a life centered around you. All of our experiences shape to help our desires and our delights be rooted in you. When all is said and done, life, Lord, this life of 70, 80, 90 years will soon fade. But you are a treasure. You are our treasure. Lord, I pray for THMCEM as they struggle through this season of waiting for a new pastor. Above all, help them to delight in you. Delight in you. Two people in the audience, 10 people in the audience, 100 people in the audience, let us delight in you and let our desires be for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.